0: Welcome to the podcast of Motorweek, Television's original automotive magazine. Motorweek is made possible by tirerack.com, rockauto.com and state farm. Here's your Motorweek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you Alec Webb and
1: hello everyone, welcome to Motorweek podcast number 204 and this is John Davis. Even though I sound like I've got some rather large frog or several of them <laughs> in my throat today. Uh, joining us around our podcast table is writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hello, John. And our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hey there, loudmouth. And our online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. That is me. And you're going to hear as little from me as possible today, but we've got an awful lot of stuff to cover, and we've got just the team to do it. So we've got a lightning round of your question. See if we have any rants and raves besides my vocal cords, and we're going to start, though, with some of the cars that we've driven lately beginning with possibly the most anticipated sporty car of the last two years, the 2020 Toyota Supra. Greg is fresh back from driving it at Summit Point, West Virginia. Tell us all about it.
2: Well, yeah, it's uh, been a long time coming, pretty much since I got here about seven years ago. I feel like we've been really sensing that the super was coming and then it was really drawn out by toyota and then now it's finally here so it feels like kind of a milestone really for me at least uh didn't have to go too far to drive it either went down to west virginia and pretty much spent the whole day at the track um at this point a lot of you probably already know this is a joint venture with bmw so um it's very similar to a z4 um the reality is that cars like these now they don't sell a lot, and car companies like making money. So a way to do this is to team up with another car company, and here we go. So uh, one of the big reasons that they teamed up with BMW is that the Supra famously uses or used a uh, straight-six engine. Uh, well, BMW has some really nice straight-six engines, and they uh, pulled a the 3-liter out of the Z4 and other ones. 335 horsepower, 365 pound-feet of torque, uh, 0 to 60, it's 4.1 seconds. Automatic only, it's an 8-speed. It's also um, just a standard torque converter, not dual-clutch, which is useful on the street because if you get into a dual-clutch unit, they can be kind of clunky, especially at low speeds. This one was actually really manageable. The car is really stiff, uh, which separates it from the Z4 a little bit. And uh, that is, depending on who you are, you know, going to be the decision between a Z4 and uh, a Supra. Also, because of obviously price, um, pricing does start around fifty grand for the Supra, and then up to fifty five for the launch edition, which will be the first fifteen hundred, I believe. Um, so yeah, just down to actually driving it, I enjoyed it. I mean, look past all the the fact that it is essentially a bmw i mean it is tuned differently it sounds a lot different i think it sounds really good they spent a lot of time or at least they said they spent a lot of time working on the exhaust which has a really nice sound it's um has all those cool crackles that i like when you lift off the throttle um great on the track the the torque like i said is 365 and it comes in super low at 1600 up to 4500. The car doesn't, the engine doesn't rev very high, so you don't have to work too hard to get all that uh torque, which is nice at Summit Point because it, we drove on the Shenandoah circuit, really tight and technical. And a naturally aspirated car, or even some turbocharged cars that have some trouble getting uh the boost up. I mean, having it all at 1600 rpm was great. I mean. Shifting wasn't that big of a deal. I actually just let it shift on its own because I wasn't too thrilled with the paddle shifters. Not that they weren't super responsive. It just didn't really add add anything to it for me. They also, the shifters physically didn't feel good in my hands. Uh, But yeah, like I said, I mean, it's it's responsive. It's quick out of corners. There's a ton of grip. And uh, I, the general consensus between me and other journalists were that, you know, Toyota isn't just taking the bmw here and saying it's a toyota i mean they've certainly made it their own and uh it it was pretty impressive on the track how about the interior how how bmw is the interior it's i mean if you've ever been into a bmw you're going to say well okay so this is bmw this is bmw the screen is clearly bmw all the switch gear the iDrive um the the looks are a little bit different. The shifter is actually the same setup, but just a different kind of housing, so it looks different, and um so, yeah, it, it's super familiar. The steering wheel is a pretty big difference. I mean, it is—Toyota mm-hmm. was able to make their own steering wheel, which is cool. I don't particularly like the look of the steering wheel, but at least it's very clearly Toyota.
1: How do you choose between the Z4 and the Supra? I mean, it's, it's probably two completely different buyers, but— if somebody's basically in the market and, they've, and the price differential is not that big a deal, how do you choose?
2: Yeah, that's one thing that they were very um, thorough on explaining at the launch. So the Z4 is a roadster. I mean, it's a it's a drop top. So if you want a convertible, then your option is the Z4. Um, but the Z4 is also more of a touring car, whereas the Supra, it's I guess technically considered a touring, but it is way firmer than the Z4. So if you're into like, really pushing it on the track or just you want that sporty, sport coupe feel, then the Supra is what you want. Um, It's not as comfortable as the Z4. So really I think it it comes down to are you into just a comfortable drive where you can – enjoy the sun, or do you want something where you just hop in and you're enjoying a Sunday drive as fast as you can go? A
1: little more hardcore.
2: Yeah, sure. A little bit more raw, uh, a little louder on the inside. Ben, I know you haven't driven it, but between the two <laughs> cars,
1: what impresses you or doesn't impress you but from what you know?
0: Uh, I mean, I've got a salty approach on the whole thing. I mean, granted, the car looks great and everything, but I'm still a little bummed out about the whole super nameplate thing. I and mean, If they really wanted to... Uh, Uh, like adhere to the straight sixness of it and just wash all that great heritage away by going to another manufacturer for a drivetrain and platform that kind of bums me out because i would have been cool with a twin turbo lexus six or the v8 out of the lexus or something and and just make it all in house and and because i was i'm still a little salty about the brz subaru corolla thing i mean come on toyota just Give me something that's yours. They've got a lot of money. What's the problem? Yeah,
2: dude. <laughs> Killing me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, I understand where you're coming from. I think a lot of that goes away when you drive it, though, because yeah. it's just it's fun to drive. I'm sure it's an awesome car, but why why put Super on the back of it? That's all.
0: <laughs>
1: Let's move on to our second car uh, this week, The uh, totally different by every stretch. The 2019 Honda Passport uh everybody's had a chance to experience it brian why don't you set it up yeah i mean
3: we could just uh do this one real quick it's just a two-row version of the pilot uh other than that it's not much different uh it's a little little more content uh standard it's got 20-inch wheels on all of them stuff like that uh but essentially same wheelbase as the pilot Uh, it's just a two-row pilot yeah
2: it it felt to me uh like it drove a little bit smaller Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I definitely agree with that.
2: Yeah, some people were curious about that, and I, you know, again, it's subjective, I guess, but I, I feel like it drove smaller. Um, but, but it's got
1: a huge cargo capacity for its yeah. size seventy one cubic feet, I think it is. Yeah, for all sure. seats down. Yeah, and the trunk floor
3: is the same as the pilot, and there's no seats to store there now, so you get a huge underfloor
2: storage bin, which I think a lot of people will appreciate. It's pro I mean, is it? I guess it's really just a popular segment right i mean people well
3: it's bizarre to me it doesn't make any sense that you you had to get a three-row pilot i mean there's to begin with i mean there's plenty of people that don't need a three-row vehicle and just need a two-row five passenger vehicle uh why they didn't offer one to begin with is odd but yeah it's kind of everyone went three-row there for a while now everyone seems to be going with the blazer coming back uh new edge out there santa fe getting redone Uh, very crowded yeah, it yeah, seems all, all of a sudden the, that seems to be are, the yeah. the hot segment now. The five passenger, yeah.
2: yeah. Hmm. yeah I, um, I mean, I never drove the like old Honda Zuzu Passport, wow. but do you think the heritage is still there like i know this is technically supposed right. to be more reg- rugged well
3: I, mean, I don't know i mean that was a body <laughs> was on frame. A frame yeah and
2: but i don't know There's that that truck people. i yeah. don't know
3: that that many people even remember it i yeah. mean it, that was early 90s before suvs were even really
1: that huge of a deal and uh, i don't know that anyone really barely remembers it it's really going to come down to whether or not you want that six inches of extra length and whether or not you need a third row because it's actually a little more expensive and better equipped than the uh, pilot so
0: Benny? You guys covered it all on that one. Um, It is a nice vehicle. I do like all the headroom in the second row. more more legroom as well compared to the uh, Pilot in the
2: second row.
1: I enjoyed it. I I thought it was a a nice package.
2: I would imagine they'll sell quite a bit of them.
1: You know, there's, there's a little feature that I honestly don't know that the Pilot had, and you can tell me. When you slide the second row forward and drop it, They've got a panel that flips up to cover the space between the second row seats and the rear cargo area. I don't remember that on the Pilot. Hmm. If not, it's a nice little feature if you have animals or anything back there where you don't want their, you know, something to fall down between the seats and the cargo area. Hmm. So, okay.
2: Don't remember, but yeah, that's yeah. definitely useful.
1: It's not marked. It's almost invisible. I just reached mm. down and said, I wonder if this is it. And That makes it a very pet friendly is. vehicle. Yeah, very friendly. <laughs> Which <laughs> is another segment we're doing soon. Okay, let's move along to our third vehicle uh, 2019 Beetle Convertible, final edition again. Uh, why don't we all chime in? <laughs> Benny, you want take to take it up a, little bit? Yeah. a Beetle guy.
0: Yeah, I do love Beetles, and I like yeah. the, the one we had prior to this one. This one didn't feel as good as that last one for some reason. I don't know why. I think it was uh, drive-chain related and throttle response related mostly, but um, – it's it's a nice car uh hard to say I mean i I was ready to say goodbye to it last time around so I, I personally I don't like the little additions that they made to this one i I think the outgoing one the last one we had was was nicer looking inside You're talking so,
3: about our coast long term
0: yeah like the wood I like the surf inspired dash it, yeah. that that had and the the I mean it it's neither here nor there but the audio system in that one was a little better than this one around and it just left me uh more impressed
2: what exactly does this one add does it have anything specific to final edition it's got so. some
3: different trim inside uh, body mesh. color stuff and like a wood grain uh logos are a little different it actually says beetle on the trunk lid which it never uh has before it's or a stuff little like more that.
1: nostalgic
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's really about it nothing major and your powertrain used to be so many options as far as manual automatic diesel turbos non turbos now everything is the 2 liter with auto so mm-hmm. that's
0: kind of disappointing too and the the biggest disappointment i had was the um the infotainment screen is uh it's outdated. It's not super bright or clear, and it's kind of, it, with the top down. It's slanted at an angle that you can't adjust. It seems to just wash the whole screen out. You can't see anything with the top down most times.
1: So maybe it's time for it to uh, make an exit. But I'm not convinced we won't see a Beetle again. Oh, I hope we do. Yeah, it's an
3: yeah. all a pure EV. It's still a fun car to drive. Yeah, I mean, it, as much as I hate on it, usually are, I, I get in and drive it, and I I enjoy it. It feels like a small uh, VW. But I'm sure there'll be a Beetle. There'll be an electric beetle at some point.
1: The, the thing is, there are so few affordable convertibles. It's very sad to see one go.
0: That's a good point. Yeah.
1: Okay, let's move on to the lightning round. Greg, would you like to uh, handle this so yeah. I can save people from should having to listen it to my, me?
2: Should I try it in my best John David? Yes, blues, you do that. Just, do that. Uh, no, I'm please. not even going to embarrass myself. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go on a lightning round. Let's uh, do that. Yeah. Uh, Covering an automotive topic that is trending, each one of us will have 30 seconds or so to talk about it. Chevrolet recently tweaked the front styling of the Camaro, which was just about 12 months after its mid-cycle refresh. And although they haven't come out and said it, uh, it seems to be a response to overwhelmingly negative reactions from the public, specifically to that front end, uh, which was as soon as it was released was almost immediately thrown back by everybody on the internet. Uh, style is subjective. And even some of the best designs take time to get used to. So does this set a dangerous precedent for car makers responding so immediately to the general public about styling?
3: No. Uh, am I going first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> this is like one of those controversies. I'm using air quotes for those of you uh, that can't see me right now uh, that I, was, I had no idea about. Um, I, guess I don't spend a lot of time on social media, uh, much to my detriment. But I didn't even realize it was a big deal. I thought it looked pretty good. Last one was a like cycle refresh. Yeah, I didn't realize that everyone was hating on. it. Um, I don't think it sets a bad precedent, but it's you know it's just a knee, re, knee jerk reaction by Chevy that. I'm not sure they needed to do. Hey, we used to have yearly styling changes. Yeah, so people complain about that the fact that we don't have that anymore.
0: Imagine if the Bangle Butt Seven Series was launched <laughs> now in today's uh, <laughs> intense social media environment. What would uh, it might I don't have know. happened?
1: They would have taken a chainsaw to it the same way. It took year. enough hit back then. Yeah. I actually think it's good to see the automakers responsive. I think they've all gotten complacent. And in the last four or five years, we've seen more yearly changes, usually not sheet metal, uh, mm-hmm. but now even a mid cycle refresh is a major uh you know, change much more major than it used to be. So I think it's good they're responsive. It doesn't bother me at all.
2: Yeah, I think It'll be interesting to see, like, how much more of this happens. It's one thing if the public cries out about something that is, like, dangerous or, like, you know, just truly depressing from a uh, powertrain standpoint. Styling, though, is a little bit odd because, like, you know, generally, at least in my opinion, some of the best designs are met with tepid reactions. So you you don't want to see great designers second guess themselves just because there's an initial knee jerk reaction. So it would be it would be upsetting to see a good design realized years later that was never continued just because they felt they had to change it right away. I don't know. Just an interesting thought. Remember the Edsel?
0: <laughs> I'm wondering since this happened so fast if this was a uh, front end that they had re- earmarked for a, a different like a a one LE uh, package be, in the right. future something that they just cuz that's pretty fast. I mean yeah. that's,
1: these days that's
0: amazing. It must have had
3: had an mean, how different is it? I haven't even seen it. I mean is it that different? It's,
2: it's a matter of- different enough. So they had to move they on the mid cycle refresh I think they moved the badge down closer to like the splitter and then they had like a blacked out piece that just looked terrible. So then they moved it the badge back up to where it should be.
1: You know, in your opinion, so it's a grill.
2: Yeah, it's just really, it is literally like a couple of pieces on the grill that were changed. That do it does make an, quite a difference in appearance, but ultimately not that big of a deal, I guess.
1: At least I, again, they were responsive. So, okay, viewer question, Brian Robert. Uh, how Who about you, Ben? You got it. Oh, what you take? I'm <laughs> already, all right, Brian. <laughs> no, if <laughs> you promise to do a JD impression, I'll me. let him. Oh, he'll he'll, he'll get to do the rant week's Viewer wave. question. Pat Goss
3: covered TPMS, which is tire pressure monitoring systems, in a recent segment, and a lot of viewers were curious about systems that display the actual tire (laughs) pressure and whether or not to trust them. Are these (laughs) systems accurate compared to a standard tire pressure gauge? (laughs) What's everybody think? (laughs) Brian, let's have you start. (laughs) Uh, No, uh, they... They are they are not super accurate, uh, but they are very close. I mean, I, I'm checking tire pressures all the time and long term vehicles and personal vehicles. Not as much as we used to because we all we kind of rely on them now, and uh, they're usually yeah they're usually pretty close.
2: Well, That's good to know. Yeah, I thought uh Pat did bring up a good point. And again, this is a question that a lot of people had different takes on. It was just it seemed to be in a segment that a lot of people had feelings on. Um, because there are so many cars, I think it's, isn't it standard now for yeah, all cars that right. have yeah, required. So, yeah, I think the important thing is that you shouldn't just rely on the car uh, because just because the light isn't on doesn't mean that your tire is not low. Yeah, Correct.
3: it takes like eight to ten pounds low, I think, before the right. lights come on. Yeah. <laughs> Depends. I guess night,
2: that varies. Huh? Yeah. Last that?
3: night I was My checking. Oh, uh, oh, I'm
0: sorry. No, sorry. My wife's Wrangler is really sensitive. Mm.
1: Uh, our Subaru at home was uh, eight pounds down and the light hadn't come on
2: yet. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a long oh, That's borderline dangerous. You mm-hmm. know. Just ask. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask. go ahead. <laughs> no, we're going to say anything
0: about
1: Ford or Firestone. Ooh. Okay, Ben,
0: you're next. <laughs> okay, does anybody have a rant or rave they want to talk about? <laughs>
2: because you one. usually do. So. <laughs> I think I got mine out in the Supra. <laughs> I, uh, the weather's getting warmer now, so more and more people are lounging in cars with their feet out of the windows, oh, which really bothers me for some reason. And I, I understand it; people are probably like, well, just don't look at it or don't care. <laughs> well, you know what? And that's fine. But it's an airbag honestly, problem it, there too. It does annoy me. Like yeah. it's just disgusting to me. And I hope like a bird runs into your foot or something. <laughs> Ouch!
3: They actually had a thing on car and driver website on a picture of some Reasons not to have your legs up on the dash. There are plenty yeah. of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> have broken bones. People, yeah, where their legs snapped in half. Yeah, I in mean, as,
2: as much as you think it's not going to happen to you, I mean, accidents do happen, even if you're the greatest driver in the world. So, you know, stuff happens.
1: And if you do have them hanging out, I hope you had a pedicure.
0: True that. I just admire that flexibility, I, wish I
1: <laughs> <laughs> On that I'm going to bring this to a close. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast number 204. Thanks to audio engineer Jim Bigwood and all of his magic cannot help my voice. Our podcast creator, Greg Carlos, and our creator, Bob Mixter. Anybody else want to add anything? I'm good. Why don't you read the close? Go ahead, Greg. What is the close? I'm
2: just never thank there. everybody. That's perfect <laughs> right there. That yeah, was a I catch. <laughs> I, I guess I'm wheel. never really. Li- I'm the producer now and I don't even listen to the clothes. That's why I gave it to yeah, you. Yeah, well, you know. Um, where can you watch Motor you Week? You can watch Motor Week in tons of places. On your local PBS station, go to our website, motorweek.org, and the About the Show page, and just type in your zip code or address and you can find out where, when and where it's airing. And uh, also on the Motor Trend Network, and of course, YouTube, we're there all the social media channels, and, um, yeah, if you can't find us, then you are not, really you're not looking hard enough. Thanks,
1: everybody. We we'll hope you'll join us again for more of our Motor Week podcast and watch us every week on whatever video screen you've got available. Thanks again.
0: You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.